You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We, um, again, we are Christmas enthusiasts around here. We love Christmas and um, I love uh, preaching on Christmas and and about the whole thing. Thanks, Kate. We, um, next week, again, just want to reiterate, this is our Christmas calendar. Next Sunday, we will have our children's Christmas play. It's a great time to celebrate our children and what they're doing. And uh, let me encourage you to, it's it's always an outstanding morning. And uh, I want to encourage you to come be a part of that. It's always a highlight of the year. After that, we'll have another uh, Christmas message on the 17th. And on the 24th, on Christmas Eve, we're going to do just an evening service on that Sunday. It'll be at 530 here. Uh, Last Sunday was a, last year was a very powerful service. I want to Encourage you to come be a part and uh, bring folks to that. We're going to have a great, great holiday season. You know, when you, when you preach on Christmas, I'm going to kind of let you inside what it's like being a preacher for a minute. One of the uh, kind of interesting things about Christmas, at least for me as a challenge, is there's, when you're going to do a Christmas message, you kind of have a little less ammo than, than on most other topics. You have basically, there's two possibilities from the book of Matthew, you have like Matthew's genealogy. It's a great, powerful, profound genealogy. And then there's the, you know, the star in the sky with the Magi. And then in Luke, you have, um, you know, uh, the actual birth narrative of Jesus being born. Um, you, you know, there's just, and then there's also in Luke, and what we're going to look at today are these, there's four um, songs, four, they call them canticles, or four songs that are sort of hymns, celebration songs uh, that surround the birth of Christ. And uh, here, here they are in order. The, the first one is called the Annunciation. That is when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announces to her that she is going to have the child Jesus. Uh, the second one is called the Magnificat. And that is basically Mary's response to that. She celebrates that. The third one is called the Benedictus. It is a um, guy named Zechariah who is John the Baptist dad that when John the Baptist is born he for six months when he was uh or nine months when he was being um developing he he couldn't talk which I'm not doing a great job of right now either he couldn't talk (laughs) for nine months and um when his son was born he suddenly could speak again and he he bellows out this it's called it's blessed so they call it the Benedictus and he talks about he prophesies about his son and the way he will pave the way for the Christ. And then uh, the last one is called the Nunc Dunitas. We'll talk about that on Christmas Eve. And it's when Jesus is brought into the temple, his eighth day as a human being, he's brought into the temple. And when he is there entering, uh, an old great man of God named Simeon takes him and pronounces a blessing over him. And uh, he begins that by saying, I may now depart. That's Latin for so we're going to look. So there's all these cool things, and I love these things. These four canticles, these four songs are basically ecstatic prophecy. 
they're poetic and they're, they're beautiful and there's a real grandeur and a grace in the way they're said, but they are the Holy Spirit inspiring them. And they're not just, um, they're doing a couple things. One is they're describing Christ, who he is, what he's like. He's being described and then they are prophesying what he's going to become. And again, this is when he was born. Luke is writing about this in about 60 AD, very early in Christianity. And so they make some pretty extravagant claims about what he's going to become in history. And so what I want to do is look at this passage. In Luke chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 26. This is called the Annunciation. This is the first of these. This is the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary that she's about to have a child. In the sixth month, verse 26, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered, what kind of greeting this must be? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. Verse 32 says, he will be great. You will call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born, to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is unable to conceive in her sixth month will conceive. For no word from God will fail. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. So here's what's happening in this whole story. There's, um, as we begin Luke's gospel, it begins with the angel Gabriel coming to um, the... Uh, uh, John the Baptist's father, and he is uh, in the temple, and he's a priest, and he's doing his duty, and an angel appears to him and tells him he's going to have uh, John the Baptist, who's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah, and he doesn't believe it, so he's becomes, he loses his ability to speak. So he comes out of this, this temple where he's done, this room where he's done all these temple services, and he can't speak, but they know something's happening. But his wife, who is older, uh, conceived, and it was very unusual for her to be conceived in that, that late age. And so she's in her sixth month with John the Baptist. So while she's in her sixth month, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. Now, Mary, unlike Elizabeth, is not an older woman who's, who hasn't had a child uh, in her adulthood. She's a teenager. She's about to be married to a young man named Joseph. Joseph was probably 18. She was probably 14. Very young. And the angel comes to her and announces to her, a 14-year-old girl, you are going to have a child, but not just any child. 
Your child is the child spoken of in the Old Testament. The one the Old Old Testament speaks about and hopes will come and, and, and we anticipate. They called him the Messiah. And what the Old Testament taught is that there was a leader coming, a ruler coming, who would be one of King David's descendants. And that ruler would bring about a kingdom that would know no end. He would absolutely transform the world. And what he would do in this kingdom is he would bring one thing, is he would bring the presence of God in an amazing and a staggering way. The second thing he would do is he would wipe away the sins of God's people. Just wipe them away. The third thing over and over again the Old Testament talks about the Messiah doing is he would develop a what I would call an internal spirituality. He would, the Bible says, write God's laws on people's hearts. And he would change the way people live. And the last thing he would do is back in those days, Israel was the only monotheistic nation there was. The whole world was, was pagan was trapped in polytheism, and they believed they had their God was the one God. And what they understood the Messiah was going to do is in the wake of his appearing is all Gentiles, all these people that were trapped in darkness would see the light and they would begin to turn to Israel's God and they would begin to worship him. And of course, his Hebrew name is Yahweh. They would worship him. And so that's what is happening. And what this angel is saying to her is this is who your child is. This is who he's going to be. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, and he will be great. And then she summarizes, the angel does, summarizes these prophecies about the Messiah. And he says he will build a kingdom that will never end. Now Mary's going on here, and she's going, okay, you can imagine being a 14-year-old girl. You're a poor, you're a peasant girl, and you have an angel appearing to you and telling you you are going to be the mother of Israel's hope, of the Messiah. And she asks this question, how can this be? And the angel says, here's what's going to happen. The power of God's going to come on you. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. God's power is going to overshadow you. And what is going to be conceived in you will be called the Holy Son of God. And, and this is what we understand about Jesus. Is that he is fully God and fully man. That in her womb, something extraordinary happened. God became human. He gestated for nine months in the womb of a teenager, he became a human being. And here's why that's so important. We understand that what Jesus was here to do is to reconcile God and man. He was going to bring together God and man. And he does that by the fact that divinity and humanity are brought together in him fully and completely. The Nicene Creed, when they wrestled with this thought and how this could be, they came up with this understanding of Jesus they said, Jesus Christ is God of God, light of light, God of very God. That's who he is. He is Israel's God becoming a human being. The Bible uses a couple terms to describe this. One is called fullness. Now, I want to illustrate to you what the Bible says when it talks about Jesus being the fullness 
of the Godhead in bodily form. It simply means that everything in God, in the container, of is poured in this. Everything. Fullness. Everything that made God God was poured into Jesus. He lacked nothing. He was fully and completely God. Another way the New Testament describes Jesus is it calls him the image of the invisible God. Last night, yesterday afternoon, a lot of us watched a football game, didn't we? On a TV, did, you know. A few of us here were actually at the game. And I'm really proud of you for being here this morning, by the way. You're a good dad. <laughs> but here's the, here's the thing. Yesterday, when I am watching the football game on TV, I am seeing an image. I am seeing the exact football game that happened in Atlanta in the living room uh, in Athens, Georgia. Am I not? There's not a football game in Atlanta going on between Georgia and Auburn where Auburn wins and Georgia loses. There's not a game going on there where Auburn doesn't score the first touchdown, but Georgia does. There's not a game going over there where our great young running back doesn't break a long 60-yard run to put the thing away. You know, everything that happened in Atlanta happened on my TV set. It is an exact representation. It is that exact game transferred to a different plane, a plane where I can see it and enjoy it, just like those that were actually there. It's no less the same game. And this is what Jesus is. It is God who is eternal and infinite and immaterial, transferred to a temporal, limited, corporal flesh plane. He became flesh. He became human. It is an awesome, incredible event. And this is what Mary's saying. How will I know? She says, because the power of God's going to overshadow you. And what's being born in you is the holy son of the living God. God himself is going to come and is going to gestate in your womb, Mary. She's like, hey, I believe. In Jesus Christ, we see in a human form what God is like. We see the divine in a man. You and I can get God through Jesus. He represents him exactly and perfectly. Now, here's something else that means. It doesn't just mean that in Jesus, a man was God. It also means that in Jesus, God was a man. In the life of Jesus, God had an authentic human experience. Everything you and I go through, he went through. Jesus had to learn. He created the world, but he had to learn math. I don't get that, but he had to learn. Jesus was cold. He was hot. He was warm. He was hungry. He was thirsty. The Bible says this about Jesus. He was tempted in every way like you and I are. That's really interesting to think about. God being tempted to sin just like you and I are. Just as tough for him. 
As a young boy, Jesus probably got bullied on a playground. Could you imagine Almighty God being bullied by a seven-year-old? But he had a real, authentic, genuine, human experience. So we see in Christ, we see the divinity and we see the humanity in, in him. We can see that as a man, he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. So two simple people. But as God, he was from everlasting to everlasting. As a man, he was tempted in every way that you and I are. But as God, he was without sin. As a man, he was hungry, just like you and I. But as God, he fed 5,000 with two loaves of bread and five pieces of fish. As a man, he was thirsty. But as God, he turned water into wine. As a man, one time he was so exhausted when he's on a boat ride that he fell asleep in the middle of a hurricane. But as God, when he woke up, he spoke to the winds and the seas, saying, peace be still, and they obeyed him. As a man, he rendered under Caesar what was Caesar's. But as God, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As a man, he hung and he was crucified and he died on a cross. But as God, he was raised from the dead. As a man, he was despised and rejected by men. But as God, he sits on a throne. And millions upon millions from every tribe and tongue and kindred of all races, of all backgrounds, are worshiping him, saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive glory and honor and power and praise. His name is Jesus, and he will be great. He will be great. You know, the way Luke writes this and the way he kind of introduces us to Jesus is very interesting. In calling him the Son of God, he is contrasting him with something that was going on in their world. There was a, when Jesus was born, there was a new emperor who had just finished, completed conquering the known world. His name was Caesar Augustus. He was reigned over Rome for almost 40 years, a very powerful, significant figure. Caesar Augustus was actually the nephew of, his, of Julius Caesar, the beginner of the Roman Empire. Julius thought he was so great, he adopted his nephew as his own son. When Augustus came to power, his last thing to secure his power, he won a battle called Battle of Octium, and he defeated Mark Anthony there. Mark Anthony later committed suicide. And as he sort of regally sat at the pinnacle of humanity, he declared his dad, Julius, to be a god, and he declared himself to be the son of God who was bringing peace and salvation to the earth. And Luke picks up on that. And Luke is saying this to believers that man reigning in Rome is not the Son of God. 
He is not the one that's going to bring salvation and peace to the earth. The real son of God is born to two teenage paupers in a sheep stall. He's going to grow up in a country. He's going to be a poor kid. But he is the real son of God. Now, if you look at that on the surface, you're kind of going, are you kidding me? I've got to choose the son of God. I have a guy who has just literally just conquered the world. His last enemy was crushed and committed suicide. And he's, he, that's him. And I'm going to choose a poor kid with two teenage parents who can't even find a, pl- a decent place to be born. It looks that way. But let me tell you what the real view is. That little baby in a manger created the world that Augustus Caesar thought he ruled over. That little baby decided how tall he would be, what color his hair would be, what color his eyes would be, how long his nose would be. That little baby created this planet and it was spinning at 1,100 miles an hour, it moves 30,000 miles an hour around the sun. That little baby created that. When we see who Jesus is, it is no wonder that today Caesar Augustus is most remembered, the, the king of the world in Jesus' day, is most remembered for what is said of him in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, that he just happened to be the guy in power when Jesus was born. He is literally no more than an afterthought in the story of Jesus Christ. That's all he is. That's all he is. The month of August is named after Caesar Augustus. Time is split over the birth of this great king. He will be great. He will be great. There is none like him in history. When Charlemagne was ruling, he made this comment about empires and about kings, and he was thinking about his, his conquest and the empire he was ruling over. And he said, you know, there is one le- ruler greater than me, and it's time. Time diminishes the impact of every accomplishment, of every achievement. Just time wears us all out. Time is king over everybody. Every ruler, every empire in time diminishes and is forgotten. But Isaiah talked about a king who would come. The government would rest on his shoulders. There would be no end to the increase of his reign or of his peace. In 1941, the world was in a war that was so pervasive and so brutal and so devastating, they literally called it World War, World War I. It was bloody, it was demonic, it was evil. People were slaughtering one another. In 1914, on the Western Front, there was two huge, huge things dug out. One was um, on the Western Front. One was full of one side. It was Germans. They were the bad guys fighting. And they were fighting against the Belgians 
in the French, in the English, you were in the other. And this had become a very, very bloody front. It was no man's land. It was very bagged up. Anyone who got out and tried to cross the 100 feet to invade the other literally was shot. And the whole in between these two dug-in areas was full of just dead bodies of Germans, of Belgians, of French, of English. And it was going on. And what happened in 1914 on Christmas Eve, they started singing hymns, Christmas hymns about Jesus. One side did it, then the other side did it. This bloody battle, they're, they're stopped, they start singing hymns about Jesus. And as they keep singing and they keep worshiping, a few of them get brave and they sort of call to the other side and the other side kind of, and they, they slowly worked out a ceasefire, literally walking over the dead bodies of their slain compadres. They worked out a ceasefire, and they held each other's hands, and there's letters about this. They held each other, and they would sing Christmas carols in their, in their different languages. They buried their dead, and they started exchanging gifts with each other. Guys who were shooting at each other started giving, changing buttons to each other and giving each other chocolate and cigarettes. It wasn't a sin to smoke back then, by the way, so you could do that. <laughs> but they, and they gathered hands and they worshiped Jesus. Now, think about who is like that in history? Who has ever done anything like that? 1,900 years after you were here, World War I, the most intense part of the battle, you stop a war for a day, but you stop a war because guys want to worship you and honor you and respect you. There, there is no one like him in history. His name is Jesus, and he will be great. Napoleon said this, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. The gap between him and all others that have ever existed is an infinity. Men like myself and Charlemagne and Julius Caesar, we build empires, but we build them on force. Jesus Christ has built an empire on love. And today, millions would live for him and would die for him. And then he said this, history knows no conqueror like Christ. History knows no conqueror like Christ. And as we approach this season, I think it's just good to sort of set our hearts around a posture of awe of who Jesus is. That in this, this, this can be a campy story if we make it a campy story. Or it can be the most awesome event 
that has ever happened in human history. God became man. He, became, he had an authentic, genuine, human experience in Jesus. And that man, despite, born in poverty, born to a teenage mom, raised in ignobility, ascended to a place of greatness no one else in history ever knows. When we say the phrase, king of kings, there's no doubt who we're talking about. That's who he is. And I want to encourage you, if you're, you're here today and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, and this, I want to encourage you to, to, to consider doing what millions have done. Received him as Lord and Savior. And had their life changed. They themselves coming under his lordship. Under him, him becoming the king in their life. In your life. You know, there's a story written by, about a guy named William Dix. And he was a um, guy who in, uh, over 100 years ago was 29 years old. And he got a bad disease and was dying. And uh, as he was dying, he started reading the Bible, and he gave his life to Christ. And then he began to write songs, and he began to just read and write about what he was writing. And he, he wrote a song called, What Child Is This? Great Christmas hymn. And the last stanza says this. It talks about how great he is. It talks about his death on the cross in the second stanza. The third stanza just talks to you and I. And it says this, so bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come to the peasant king. Come join him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. And that's what we ask you to do today. Bring him your life, your gold, your incense, your myrrh. The peasant king who salvation brings, loving hearts enthrone him. Let's pray together. Father, we are just, it is just wonderful to, uh, you know, the activity and the excitement of what we are enjoying here as, as uh, fans to uh, just recalibrate our life around your greatness and your wonder and the powerful statement of you that's made in history. That you're not just a religious fluke that happened and has grown out of control. You are our God. Become flesh. And you bring salvation to humanity. And I pray that we would, with our full hearts, join ourselves to you. The king of kings, the peasant king, who brings salvation. Father, as we receive communion, we pray that you'd make the, the power of the incarnation very real, very near to us. And I pray that you would uh, just guide us to have a very Christ-centered
majestic Christmas season. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.